Hello there, Agora Bible Fellowship Online. We are so glad that you joined us today. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Have a few brief announcements before we get into God's Word. The first thing that we wanted to say is that, man, here at ABF, our hope is that everyone has a local body of believers, a local church that they are attached to wherever you live. So our hope and uh, really why we are providing this online online service is if you just want some extra additional teaching throughout the week, yeah, come and dive into God's Word. Or if you're out of town, we hope that you'll enjoy this online service today. A few things to share is the first, we would love to pray for you. If there's anything going on in life, man, prayer works. Prayer matters. Uh, the Lord bends down to listen to us. It's amazing. And we would love to pray for you this week. So what you can do is you can text a prayer request to 97,000. We'll get back to you and we will be sure to be praying for you even this week. Go ahead and text 97,000. We'd love to do that. If you are interested in all the different things that are going on here at ABF in Agora Hills, California, go ahead and check out the website, agorabible.org, or get our app, Church Center app, and uh, lots of things going on over the next few weeks and months. Uh, I'm sure there are whenever you're watching this, uh, so check out the website for more information on that. Lastly, just wanted to say thank you so much for those of you that give. And if you're interested in supporting the ongoing ministries here at ABF, uh, man, be such a huge blessing. You can give on the website under the Give tab or on the app as well. Well, that's it for me. Let's just get into God's Word. Here we go. Well, hello. Thank you so much for joining us for another online service here at ABF. My name is Chris, and I'm the uh, uh, Family Connections Pastor here at ABF. And I'm so excited to continue in our summer series. It's our third week in our summer series. Ten questions that Jesus asked. Not that Jesus only asked ten, but he uh, asked a lot. But we picked ten questions, and we're kind of walking through Scripture uh, with those questions. And I love this series because questions are so important, especially the ones that Jesus asked but questions are so important in our life. Now, I say that, and I remember in high school and in college, I did not think questions from teachers, professors were that important. Uh, so many times I would get asked a question in class, and uh, I wouldn't know the answer. I wouldn't know it because I wasn't paying attention. Uh, most of the time I wasn't paying attention, and Josh can attest to that because we took classes together. Uh, but as I became an adult, um, so many questions in our lives are so, so important. And it's so important to kind of focus on those questions and understand our answers and why are we answering the way and what our answers should be. There was a big question that happened in 2008 that I was making sure that I wasn't going to blow it. And it was in Hawaii at my wedding. And I remember the question coming up, Chris, do you take Christina as your wife? And believe me, I was like stressing, not that I was going to say no, but I was going to mess up. I was going to be paying attention. Uh, so that question was uh, pretty important, and I was able to answer it uh, in, in the correct way. I'm still married. Uh, 15 years. Uh, but other questions in our life are just so important, right? Uh, questions with your spouse. Do you want kids? How do we budget our money? Uh, do you want this position or job that we are offering you? Which church should we attend? Uh, my own kids, right? Uh, when they ask me, do you want to go play basketball? Or do you want to do this with me? Do you want to play Mario Kart? 
right? My, my answers to those questions matter. My, when my three-year-old Kennedy says, Daddy, do you want to play with me? Like, I can't say no to that because it's so cute and heartbreaking. Our answers to these questions decide our future. It decides our, our time spent, where we spend our time. It des, uh, decides our relationships and so on and so on. And in today's passage, we're in Matthew 16. You go ahead and turn there. Jesus doesn't just ask a question, even though all of his questions are super, super important. Jesus asks the most important question ever. The most important question ever, period. Eternity altering question. An eternity-altering question. Who do you say that I am? And based on your answer to this, based on your answer to that question, it changes everything. How you live, how you talk, how you love, who you love, how you spend your time and your money, it changes everything. And more importantly, it changes the direction of your eternity. It's a simple yet big, big question, and it's only pass or fail. So before we get into that, let me pray for us. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for another opportunity to open up your love letter, your word to us, Lord. Uh, We just pray for uh, me to be out of the picture, Lord, and that you just speak, use me as a vessel, uh, that you speak through me, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that you open up our eyes and our ears, Lord, and the Spirit just nudges us to uh, get what you have us, uh, what you want us to get out of today's passage, Lord. We thank you so much for who you are, Lord. And uh, yeah, we just pray for this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16. It's in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. That's where it will be. Uh, so I don't know about you, but I tend to daydream. Uh, I'm a daydreamer, which is probably why I didn't answer a lot of those questions right back in high school and, and college. But I often imagine what was life like living with Jesus for those three years. I mean, can you imagine being Peter and seeing, witnessing the things that he saw? during his daily life, right? Can you imagine him waking up and Jesus is there praying and the things that happened? They, the disciples, during that time, they witnessed Jesus have power over nature. They, they witnessed Jesus walking on water, the calming of the storm, uh, turning water into wine, uh, turning some loaves and a couple of fish and, and feeding thousands of people. They saw that Jesus had power over nature. They saw that Jesus had power over the supernatural. They saw that Jesus was casting out demons. You know the story of him casting demons into hundreds and hundreds of pigs. Like what a crazy sight that would have been. They saw that Jesus had power over life. The healing of the mute, the blind, the deaf, the paralyzed, the crippled, and the many, many others. They also saw that Jesus had power over death through the raising of Lazarus. They have experienced some stuff, some crazy, crazy things, things that they will never forget. And today's passage is about two and a half years in that three-year period where Jesus is training his disciples. They're traveling. There's herds and herds of people. There's healing. There's teaching. And lives are being changed. The, The guy that was paralyzed is now running ahead in front of the crowd. 
But now here in chapter 16, we see that they are away from the crowd. They're away from the crowd, and it's private time. It's just Jesus and his disciples on top of this place called Caesarea of Philippi. It's a real place. Uh, uh, five, six years ago, I was, uh, got to go there to Israel for two weeks. And let me tell you something. If you get to go to, uh, to Israel, do it. Being in the place where scripture happened is unbelievable. But here in this chapter, we see that Jesus is in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Uh, it is about 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you should be seeing some pictures there of what Caesarea Philippi would have looked like during that time. Uh, here at uh, Philippi, the Jordan River starts and uh, it goes from there to the Dead Sea and it gives life, the Jordan River gives life to the whole country of Israel. The whole country of Israel. It's literally living water for the whole country of Israel. And the Jews knew the significance of this place. They knew the significance of this place. It's a historical place. And again, it's a place that still exists and you can go there and visit. But even though it's a historical, crazy place to visit, it was also a place of wickedness. It was known as the Garden of Gods, Gods, little g, Gods, the Garden of Gods. Here, there was pagan worship. 14 pagan temples are here at Philippi. And you can see it on the picture, the, 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 the gravings on the wall there. Here there's temples to Baal, Zeus, Pan. Pan was kind of like that half goat, half man, a little G God, who was said to be born in a nearby cave. And you see the picture of the cave there. In that cave, there was sacrifices to the God of Pan. Little kids were sacrificed in this cave. Infant sacrifices. Men and women being sacrificed there. Here in this cave, they considered it to be a bottomless pit cave. And they believed during this time that that bottomless pit cave was the gate of Hades. The gates to the underworld. Literally gates to hell. Here in Caesarea Philippi, it is wealth, power, sexuality, prestige, prostitution, whatever you want, it has, and you can be whoever you want there. You can be whoever you want there. And this is where we pick up. This is where we pick up, and this is where Jesus asks his question with him and his disciples. It's private time, and they're overlooking the cliff, and they're seeing the sacrifices and the craziness, the wickedness that's going on. And that's where we pick up in verse 13 here. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, the disciples said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So my first point is, who do you say, who do they say that I am? Now, this is an important question. Every G question that Jesus asks is important, but it's not the most important question. It's not the question that we are really focusing on today. This is a setup question, okay? Who likes setup questions? I don't. They're, they are the worst. And maybe you've been victim to a setup question, right? And it kind of goes like this. Oh, hey, man, what are you doing on Saturday? Like, like, do you want to hang out? Like, do you have any plans or anything like that? And you're like, no, no, I don't have any plans. Why? And they're like, oh, 
I'm moving. So uh, can you be there at my house at 7 a.m.? And I'll, don't worry, I'll bring water and donuts, right? Or it goes like this. Hey, are you at home uh, by any chance? Are you working today? You're like, no, no, no. Oh, great. Can I drop off my three-year-old uh, in order so I can go do something, right? It's a set of questions. A set of questions are the worst. And we've all been a part of it one way or another. But it's a set of questions. The ca- uh, crowds gathered constantly around Jesus. They told stories to each other. They, they talked about what they witnessed. They, they talked about uh, the rumors that they've heard and the, the things that they saw. The same stories that we have spoken about here on stage are the ones that people have actually witnessed. And they're talking about it. They saw the man with leprosy being healed. They saw the blind man, uh, blind, uh, man being able to see. And Jesus hears them whisper. He knows exactly who the crowds say that he is. But he says still, who do they say that I am? Who do they say that I am? And it's interesting because if you think about everything that I just told you about this place, the sacrifices, sexuality, prostitution, the wealth, prestige, be whoever you want. In this moment, when they're overlooking all of this, man, I think Jesus is just trying to get their attention. He's got private time with his boys. Who do they say I am? And the disciples are quickly to say, man, they think you're one of the greats. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elijah. And some say that you are Jeremiah. Now, I've read this text many, many times, and I've never really quite understood why these three three men. Why these three? Well, John the Baptist, you know, was Jesus' cousin, and he uh, baptized many people in the Jordan River. But he was bold. He stood up to the king. He stood up to Rome. Now, they killed him, but maybe they're saying, man, is this John the Baptist rising from the dead? Because Jesus was also bold. Jesus walked into the temple and cleansed it, turned the tables over. He's taken on the Pharisees. So they're asking, maybe Jesus is John the Baptist who rose from the dead. Or maybe he's Elijah. You guys know who Elijah is. Uh, He fought the wicked King Ahab, right? He's the first and greatest prophet of all time. He uh, took on the prophets of Baal, had fire ran down. And he also took on bad, bad leadership. Took on bad leadership. And what's interesting is that Elijah never died. He never died. The chariots of fire came and took him up to heaven. And what's interesting is in the book of Malachi, it says that Elijah will come before the day of the Lord. Now these Jewish people, these disciples, they knew their Old Testament. They knew what Malachi said. The people in the crowds knew that Malachi, or what Malachi stated. But they also say, some say that you're Jeremiah. Some say that you're Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah had a nickname. It was the Weeping Prophets. And all I want to say is that Jeremiah had compassion, and he cried over Israel. And there's some similarities there with Jesus, who was moved with compassion, still moved with compassion, and wept. The Jews have been waiting for a thousand years since King David for the promise of freedom. And people say that Jesus is one of the greats. The crowd is saying, man, he is one of the greats. He is up there with John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. 
and he could deliver us. He could take on Rome. The side note though, is that Jesus is not gonna take on Rome and he's actually gonna be killed by Rome. But this question, who did they say that I am? It is a setup question. The answer doesn't mean anything. The answer doesn't mean anything. And this is good news because God will not judge us on what others say about him. I'm gonna say that again. God will not judge us on what others say about him. Only on what we say about him. Only what we say about him. Now on to the real question. Verse 15. And he, Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I kind of imagine this moment where Jesus is like, I'm just going to ask this question. Yeah, 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 I already know this. Okay, but who do you say that I am? Gets their attention. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Point number two, this is the big question. This is the question. This is why I'm here speaking to you guys right now. Who do you say that I am? The second question doesn't count. Who do they say that I am doesn't, qu- doesn't count. This question is for all the marbles. This is a pass or fail question. It's the most important question then and the most important question now. Most important question of all time. And Peter nails it. Peter responds, you are the Christ. Pass. He passes. Jesus is the Christ. Now, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Some, you'd be amazed. I've met people that think that's his last name, comes from the Christ family. But uh, Christ means Messiah. Messiah is used in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, it's Christ. Messiah is used in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's Christ. Same meaning, just a different language. Peter, in this statement, states two things declares Jesus' identity with his deity. Jesus states, or sorry, Peter states two things. Jesus' identity with his deity. Christ, the Son of God. Christ, Son of God. Now, with all the pagan worship and the wickedness going on below them in Philippi, right? Wealth, prestige, we've already talked about it. There's a lot going on in there. Be whoever you want to be. Worship whatever you want to worship. And what I love is that Jesus is a master at timing things. I mean, he's God, right? Of course he is. But he has them. They have, he has them overlooking this place of just pure wickedness with all of these people worshiping different gods. And he asked them this question in contrast. Who do you say that I am? And Peter nails it. We see in verse 17 that Peter, not you or man, has revealed this truth. But God, that God the Father has revealed to Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's a big question. It's a big question for us. Who do we say Jesus is. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who does Chris say that Jesus is? 
Now, overall, big umbrella, right? Uh, we often put Jesus in the three categories, right? Three people, three common options that we say Jesus is. Uh, one, that he's just a myth, right? Uh, doesn't even, never existed. He's just a myth. Two, that he was just a man, just a man, maybe a prophet, or three, that he actually was the Messiah, uh, the Christ, the Son of God. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but if, if you characterize or you put Jesus as just a myth, well, there's a lot of flaws there because uh, then you can just pick and choose what you like about the Bible. You can pick and choose what you like and don't like. And I don't want to go into a whole apologetics thing here because uh, we don't have time. And, but I would love if you have any questions regarding this, uh, me or one of our pastors would love to have that conversation with you or answering any of your questions. But if Jesus is just a myth, again, you can just pick and choose what you like and don't like about the Bible. And my question is, how do 11 people commit to living their life for a myth and end up dying um, for a myth? Uh, if he's just a man, again, you can just pick and choose. If Jesus is just a man, you can just pick and choose what you like and what you don't like in the Bible. Uh, men are not perfect. Sorry, I'm not perfect, right? There is no man that is perfect. So there, there would be holes in theology. And if he's just a man, it'd be kind of crazy to pronounce that you are God. So I'm not sure if I want to follow that guy. Uh, but if he is the Messiah, then we need to choose him and we need to follow him because he is Christ. And if he is the son of God, that means what he says matters. And we can't pick and choose so f for most of you watching this, you probably say, yeah, yeah, Chris, but man, I picked him as a Messiah. I believe that he's Jesus, that he's the son of God. The big umbrella is done. And that's awesome. But for me, it changes. Not the fact that he's not Messiah, but how I view Jesus, if I'm being honest with you, changes day to day. My day-to-day -day relationship changes on how I view him. My question to you is, how do you view Jesus? Right now, close your eyes. Do this exercise with me. Close your eyes. Right now, how do you picture Jesus? How do you picture him looking at you? How do you picture him? You can open your eyes. Again, I told you, sometimes I wrestle with this. Not the fact that he's not Messiah. I believe that. He, I believe he's the son of God. But how I view him on a day-to-day -day can change. Stephanie uh, in our office, uh, she's gotten really good at uh, artificial intelligence. It's ridiculous what you can do now with AI. And uh, it's actually kind of creepy. It's kind of scary. Uh, but we were talking about how we view Jesus on a day-to-day -day based on what's going on in our life. And we decided to have a little bit of fun. And uh, I know for me, again, I don't treat Jesus like the Christ daily. I just don't. I wish I could say as a pastor that, man, every day I just have this, like he is Christ but man, sometimes, again, I'm not perfect. My views of him change. And my emotions sometimes dictate. And if I'm honest, I think it's easy to see Jesus as some of the following. So bear with me. We decided to have a little fun with this uh, AI stuff. But uh, as you're seeing, uh, the first picture here, you know, maybe you're like me. And sometimes I just see Jesus as a big softy. Right? If Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Sometimes there's moments where I'm like, Jesus, you're just a softy. 
you pet lambs all day, right? Like, like we all have that image from like uh, by, uh, Sunday school, right? Uh, that he's just kind of like this weak person who, who cries all the time. And this isn't me 100%, but, uh, you know, he can't handle the big problems. He doesn't punish the evil now, right? He's too weak. You can't handle the big things that's going on in my life. And if I'm honest with you, sometimes this view of Jesus can kind of creep in into my mind. And that allows me to, I don't know, view him differently. Or maybe this next picture, right? This one that we had a little fun with. Uh, Jesus is just a mean Lord, just a mean guy, right? Uh, I make a mistake and, and he's, he's mean, he's ruthless, right? He, he's ready to punish me. He only wants to bring bad things to me. And likes to punish me. Or maybe this next one, uh, Jesus is just a character, right? Maybe this kind of falls into that myth. Uh, he's just a made-up guy. It doesn't really matter what we do or how we live our life. Uh, it doesn't matter what I say or do. Jesus is not real. He's just kind of a character, a cartoon character. Or maybe this fourth one. And this one really hits home to me. Maybe Jesus is just a bud, just a buddy. He's a friend, not even that close of a friend sometimes. And I can choose to talk to him or not. I can choose to bring him up or not. I can choose to hang out with him or not. I can choose to text or call him if I want to or not. That one relates to me. This fifth one, maybe this is you, right? We, we, we just kind of treat Jesus as a joke. That he's just a meme and he's just... A guy that likes to make jokes. On there you see a joke. Sometimes we even use his name as a cuss word. The last one here, this one hits with me. We see Jesus as, as a teammate, right? I love that. We used one for basketball there. Uh, obviously I'm a basketball guy. But honestly, sometimes I see him as just a teammate, right? Not all the time, but sometimes those moments in our lives, depending on how we feel and, and what's going on on the day-to-day, we can slip into thinking that Jesus is this person, that Jesus is a teammate. He's a sidekick. He, he works with you a little bit, right? And he, but when great things happen, you kind of like high-five them and you just kind of take all the credit for it. And Jesus is just a teammate. Now, I know these pictures are kind of funny, and, uh, but man, it's one of those things where if we're not careful, like I said earlier, our emotions can take away the seriousness of who Jesus really is. And that is the Son of God. That is the Christ. And here's the truth. He is always, always the same. He is the Christ. So my question to you is who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And again, if you're in that where you're trying to figure out, is he even real? Is he just a man, a prophet? Is he a myth? Like, again, we would love for you to reach out to us, and we would love to be able to contact you about that or answer any questions that you have. Or maybe you're like me, where sometimes you're just like, man, I believe that Jesus is the Lord. Like, he's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. But sometimes I slip into these, these moods where I just treat him like a friend. I just treat him like a buddy, like a teammate. Let's move on. Verse 18, Jesus continues. He says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I love this. This Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My point number three here is that Jesus in this section gives two guarantees. Two guarantees. The first guarantee, Jesus states, on this rock, the church will be built. Now, we know Jesus is the rock of our lives, right? He's our foundation. Christ is our foundation. Peter's statement here, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that is the foundation. That is the rock. That statement alone. Now, Jesus is a master with words, right? This is a play on words here. Peter, in Greek, is Petros, which translates to rock or stone. The first guarantee here is that the church will be built through Peter and the other apostles. And we see that all through Acts. The first half of Acts is about Peter and the others proclaiming the gospel and Christianity starts to spread like wildfire throughout the Middle East and th- throughout all the regions. With this church, Jesus guarantees the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus and the disciples, remember where they are. They're looking at hell on earth. They're looking at death. They're looking at pagan worship. They're looking at sacrificing of children. They're looking at what people believe to be the gates of Hades, the underworld of hell. And Jesus is saying that not even that wickedness there will prevail against it, will not prevail against the church, that evil will not win. And this is such a great reminder for us because sometimes all we see for being honest, all we see is the evil, right? Like you just turn on the news, you go on the socials, like all you see sometimes is evil. We see the darkness and it can be defeating, which is why sometimes we start picturing Jesus as just this other guy, just this friend or, or this weak Lord who can't do anything in the moment. And we feel the gates of hell. We feel the gates of hell. The good news, though, is that we know that God does and will continue to reign and justice will come and he will win. The second guarantee here in this passage is that Jesus states giving the key. And so what in the world does that mean? Well, keys are a sign of authority. Uh, if you have a key to your work, car, home, right, like that, like you own that key, you have the right, you have the power to be able to enter that place. Uh, I remember... Ten years ago, uh, my first day here at the church on staff, I remember Pastor Scott Kegel uh, giving me the keys to the church and walking around and showing me, you know, this key goes to this store. And there's this feeling of like, oh my gosh, one, uh, like I do not, like I should not be having the keys to this. And but two, uh, more importantly, just this feeling of of responsibility, this this feeling of power, uh, not to like power, power. I have power, but like this power to be able to open up the doors to our people in the area. Keys are so important as an illustration and as a literal thing. And Jesus is talking about spiritual keys, keys to the door of faith, 
keys to proclaim the gospel to the early church, to Christians. And what's so fascinating is that when you look at Acts, Peter uses the key and he opens the door at the day of Pentecost. And Peter uses the key and opens the door to the Gentiles. So that's the second guarantee. Moving on to our next section, our last section here. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And on the third day be raised. Verse 22, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. All right, point four, my last point here, our plan versus God's plan. Uh, Wow, uh, things kind of took a turn here, right? Uh, And the reality is so often we can be just like Peter, right? We can say all the right things. We can proclaim, Jesus, you are the Christ. Whatever you want, it is. I will follow you as my Lord and Savior. But when we don't like something, when something's not on our plans, in our plans or on our agenda, it doesn't match what we want to do, we like to tell him, no, 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 no. Let me tell you how it is. Let me tell you how it's going to be. In the context of the Jewish master-disciple relationship, it would have been audacious for a disciple to correct his master, let alone rebuke him. It would have been crazy for this moment to happen, let alone rebuke him. This is the first time that Jesus unveils the plan. First time in the Gospels that Jesus unveils the plan. Through the Gospels, Jesus says, he states, Son of Man as a title. He states that through the Gospels 80 times. And it's a reference from Daniel chapter 7 that the Messiah must suffer. That he, Jesus, the Christ, who has his disciples overlooking Philippi, asking these questions, that he must suffer. And Peter hated the idea that the Messiah must suffer, even though it's stated all through Old Testament prophecy. And what's crazy is that Peter doesn't even focus on the good stuff. Yeah, Jesus is saying, yeah, I must suffer and I must must die. But Peter doesn't focus on the fact that the third day will happen. He doesn't focus on the rising of the dead part. Anyone ever here have a negative Nelly in your life, right? Uh, the person that can only focus on the negative. There might be an amazing, like, things going before them and things happening, but all they can focus is on the one negative thing in their life. Those people drive me crazy. Well, this is Peter here, right? We tend to let our emotions, our fears, our lack of understanding, and a lack of faith get the best of us. This is what happened with Peter. We then think our plan is better than his because his agenda for us seems out of nowhere. Seems out of nowhere. Do you want to hear some good news, though? Some good news. Here we go. The church was built, 
Get this, the church was built and Christianity increased by many thousands and thousands and thousands of people in a short period of time through a man that stated, you are the Christ, and then a few months later, denied him three times. Peter passed it, and then he failed the test. But we pass and fail also, all the time. Great news for us is that grace is there repeatedly. In verse 23, Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Seems a bit harsh, right? Quick note here. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. But I think Jesus recognized that voice. I think Jesus recognized the voice that he heard in the desert when he was being tempted by Satan three times. Don't die. Don't suffer have the kingdom here. The voice in the desert, the voice that Peter has right here is the voice of comfort, not of sacrifice. Because comfort is what men want. And men want to run away from sacrifice. Peter doesn't fully understand what is to come. He does not understand that Jesus will suffer and die and more importantly resurrect. Peter means well. He's a godly man. He means well. He doesn't want to see Jesus suffer. He's a godly man. He follows Jesus. He's just not giving godly advice. And that's a whole nother lesson for another time. I don't know about you, but every time I read this passage, uh, I hear this question. Who do you say that I am? And it's a, it's a heart check for me. I hear, who do you Chris, say that I am. And the question that I ask myself then is, do my actions reflect the answer to this question? If I say, you are the Christ, Lord, do my actions on a day-to-day basis reflect that answer? Now, I've been guilty quite often in making uh, Jesus just my teammate. When uh, good things are happening, giving them the high five. Thanks for the assist, Jesus. I'll take it from now, right? Uh, treating Jesus as, as a buddy, as a good friend, right? I choose to talk to him when I, when I want to or when things come up. I've been, uh, I've been guilty of, of having the view of Jesus as being just a mean Lord, not giving me the things that I want when I ask for them. And uh, man, it's such a heart check when I focus on this. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God who died for my sins. That's who he is every single day, and it doesn't change. Yes, he is a good, good father. Yes, he is an amazing listener. Yes, he cares for us deeply. Yes, he has an amazing amount of compassion, infinite amount of compassion for us. Yes, he loves us so much. But don't mistake his goodness for weakness. His justice for meanness or his blessings as just assists to you. He is the Christ. And he is God's only plan for salvation. I'm going to say that again because that is so important for us to remember and so important for us to hear. He, Jesus Christ, is, is God's only plan for salvation. His only plan for salvation. There is no other plan. It's only through Jesus. So, the question is, who is Jesus to you? 
Who is Jesus to you? The reality is, is tomorrow is not guaranteed. We know that. There's no guarantee that as I leave here tonight, I'm going to make it home to my family. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. This life is super short. As I've, as I've gotten older, right, I, I've, I've realized life just is flying by. And tomorrow's not guaranteed. So we need to get that question right. Who is Jesus to you? Who do we say that Jesus is? We need to get that question right because there will be a day. We don't like to think about it, but there will be a day that you and I will, become, that you and I will come before a holy and perfect God. A holy and perfect God. And he will ask you only one question. He will ask you only one question. Who do you say that my son Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is to you? And what did you do with that? Let me pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he did on the cross. And we thank you, Lord, for his sacrifice for our sins, Lord. And and, uh, I repent of the times that I've taken that too lightly, Lord that have taken his sacrifice for granted, Lord. May we be challenged and reminded of your goodness, yes, but also that you are Christ, the Son of God. And we thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus to die on on the cross for our sins, Lord. We thank you for this time that he spent with his disciples to once again teach them, to give them a chance to understand who he is, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we get to worship you daily, Lord, that we get to communicate with you daily at any, any moment, Lord. We thank you so much for that gift of salvation, Lord. We thank you, Lord, uh, that just by believing in who you are, the Son of God, dying on the cross for our sins, or that we can be in eternity with you, Lord. And we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.